Hey nerds, welcome to Captain's Quarters, the Star Trek Rewatch podcast, the podcast where we are rewatching the entirety of the Star Trek catalog starting at the beginning of the timeline. Today we're talking about Star Trek Enterprise, Season 2, Episode 2 called Carbon Creek. My name is Gabe, I'm here with Jason. Make it so, Jason. Hello there. Jason, this is one of those episodes where... Um, it's almost hard to talk about because it um, it goes it it breaks the mold and then um, a little bit yeah you you could you could write it off as inconsequential yeah so basically what it is yeah it's basically a a flashback of sorts um, it's a a retelling of an event. Uh, via to pull maybe uh, we'll get to that to the end, in the end um so archer to pull and tucker are having a celebratory sort of just little toast to to pull's um one year anniversary with the crew she's obviously um has the longest tenure of any vulcan uh, with a human crew um she they pour a glass of red wine and she partakes in more than you would think she would. But then uh, they ask her to tell a story. So she tells a story about when she visited Carbon Creek in Not Pennsylvania. Her, her great great grandmother. Mm hmm. Well, um, so there, if you remember though, Jason, um, during the conversation, Archer asks to pull. He says, uh, "Why did you travel to Carbon Creek before you joined the Enterprise?" And she, and she goes, "I was there celebrating first contact." And Archer goes, "You were about thirty-five hundred kilometers off." You know what I mean? I, so yeah. I think she had gone there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, right, right. You're right. You're right. But pil- in the, in the, I jumped ahead. That's my yeah. mistake. That's my mistake. As a pilgrimage of sorts. Yes. So basically what she says is that the first contact that we've been referring to all along, and that's part of the established Star Trek lore, um, that actually wasn't the first contact, the one that occurred in the the 2060s. The first one was actually 100 years prior in the late 1950s in Carbon Creek, Pennsylvania. 1957 to be exact. Yeah. And um, not only that... The um, one of the crew members of the Vulcan ship that was part of this first contact was related to T'Pol. It was yep. um, one of her an- one of her um, her ancestors. Yep. Like I said, great great grandmother. Mm-hmm. And um, her name was Tamir. So T'Pol tells the story, but it actually flashes back, and so it, it shows the events of this time. Yeah. And so Tamir is played by the same actress as T'Pol, Jolene yeah. Blolick. Blolick? Blaylock. Blaylock? Sure about that? Okay. Pretty sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's one of those names, It's uh, that initial BL sound is awkward, so I don't know. Um, but anyway... Um, so basically, Tamir is on a four Vulcan crew. They're observing Earth from orbit. Um, and this is right when Sputnik was launched. Sputnik 1. 
yeah, they're observing Sputnik. There's a mishap. Uh, the spaceship that they're on crashes, and they crash in Pennsylvania. During the crash, the ship's captain is killed. Tamir, being second in command, then kind of takes over. Uh, she's with an, um, two other Vulcans. Uh, one of them's named uh, Mistral. And so they're trying to hail home to the, the Vulcan fleet to get help, to get rescued. But a couple weeks uh, pass by, and so now they're afraid they're going to starve to death. So they're forced to venture in to the nearest town. And so obviously we're talking about like sort of like Main Street America. Yeah. And so things are pretty quaint. Um, and But they are Vulcans, so they have at least at the at a minimum they have to address the fact that they have crazy pointed ears yep pretty much all the rest of it they can get away with but it's the pointed ears that's a problem so um mistral wears beanies um tamir has to kind of comb her hair over them over the ears um so in the episode um it's a pretty like quaint episode so it's about these three vulcans kind of integrating into this this um main street america setting and you know they or not they befriend right they befriend a a tavern owner uh and her son uh they get jobs and they're just basically surviving over over a span of a couple months and um mistral basically kind of strikes up a a little love interest and um tamir being very to paul like is sort of full of caution and is kind of saying like be careful you're going to poison their culture basically mm-hmm. with um we're, we're breaching protocol by making mm-hmm. contact because these people haven't haven't reached a warp technology yet so um you know she's full of caution um mistral is very liberal in that in the vulcan scent like very liberal with sort of a lot of the vulcan established um protocols and stuff so it feels like they're going to be there forever um and basically eventually um you know they're hailed by by uh the vulcan ship uh a vulcan ship and um as they're as they're preparing to leave uh mistral says that he intends to stay on earth um and observe observe uh the great advances that the society is gonna uh, go through and tamir lies on his behalf and says that he died in the crash and that um it's just it's just him it's just tamir and the other vulcan and so they they're gonna leave him there and we don't know what happens to him but so obviously skipped over a lot like you know there there's a lot of small sort of um interpersonal stuff that happens with a lot of the townsfolk Mm -hmm. um so one thing is that mistral works in a mine yep and at one point there's a a collapse and some miners are trapped and he actually uh, sort of discreetly uses uh, his Vulcan technology to sort of uh, blast the rock to save them. Yeah. Um, 
no and nobody sees it but it was close it was a close call for sure and one another thing is with the tavern woman and um her son her Maggie. son yeah her son wants to go to college but they can't afford yeah. it so uh before uh tamir leaves um she actually goes to some sort of investor and sells him the idea of velcro for some large sum of money she gives that money to maggie to pay for her son's college yeah and yeah so that was pretty much the episode like you know that's i went through that a lot faster than i normally do but again i i I do have thoughts about this episode jason okay yeah um but on the other hand like for instance maggie and her son they were a big part of this episode Mm -hmm. they're not a big part of star trek as far as i can tell no they're not uh neither is this mistral guy either right i mean maybe he'll come back because we'll find him like find out later that he died like i think even um the other male vulcan i can't remember his name even says like well what happens when you die and the coroner does an autopsy on you and figures yeah. out that you're like not human you know and that that basically had to have happened right i mean somewhere on earth this mistral guy yeah. is or was i mean we know vulcans live a long time but not that long so he must have died and like whatever happened to this guy he's you know? living among us yeah so it's just kind of crazy to think but the first thing i wanted to ask you jason yeah are you as a longtime star trek fan or do you think other star trek fans are offended by this episode because it retcons the the first contact um that has been well established and talked about up until this point yeah um i'm not sure if it actually retcons it too much um in my you know um yeah, I just didn't. Yeah, uh, I don't find. I didn't find it to like you know, um, retcon it at all. Um, Do you think they took too many liberties that uh, Rick Berman and Brandon Braga took too many liberties with a big thing that was um, established by Roddenberry? And do you think they had the mm. the right to do that? Yeah, I think so. Um, because really, um, first contact day, um, didn't really come out, really didn't come into being, you know, April the 5th, 2063 didn't really happen until... Uh, Star Trek First Contact in 2000. Yeah, uh, in 2002 or three or something of that nature. Um, okay, so that was after Roddenberry's time. Yeah, yeah. So that that was actually... So it's not... So in my, in my view, it, it's not that big of a deal because it's actually kind of cool that they kind of went in this direction for in a couple of ways. Um... 
I'm going to say, I don't think a lot of Star Trek fans are going to be too offended because this is something, this episode was kind of more like, when we get to Star Trek the original series, they played a lot, this episode played a lot to the tune. Not, it didn't mirror it and it didn't, you know, um, but there were hints of it and there were, um, there were a lot of homages to it, I will say, to um, an episode called The City on the Edge of Forever, where McCoy, Kirk, and Spock are kind of thrown back into the past. And even when Mistral, Strawn, and Tamir um, are scurrying around, you know, pulling clothes off the lines, mm-hmm. that's what, you know, Kirk and Spock had to do to kind of blend in to 1940s hmm. New York something of that nature yeah I think New York um, and then you know the the beanie that uh, or the toque I prefer to call it the toque mm-hmm. that um, that Mistral takes is very reminiscent of Spock's blue toque from that episode called The City on the Edge Forever and the Vulcans take remedial jobs. Uh, as you said, Mistral works in the um, in the mines. Uh, Strawn works uh, as a plumber, I think. And Tamir works as a um, as a bartender in Maggie's at Maggie's bar, in Maggie's bar. Mm-hmm. And so they take you know, and so they try to do as much as they can to blend in. So there were a lot of homages to that episode which is one of the greatest episodes in the franchise and I can't wait till we get there um so I think they tried to pull and harken back to that episode it not exact but you know I, I think I think it added a fun layer um <clears throat> to the um to the canon actually that, you know, yeah, that we were visited by, you know, Vulcans because of the launch of Sputnik. It, that was kind of cool. Right, yeah. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, Jason, not Canadian, despite um, <laughs> insisting on calling them toques instead of beanies. <laughs> Just what I grew up with, man. <laughs> you're a you're a Canadiophile. Yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. Whatever mm-hmm. we call that. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm sure listeners have heard me say process and all that kind of stuff in organization. Right. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, okay, Mistral um, is, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think the man who invented Velcro, yeah, Velcro was named his was named his yeah. name was George Mistral. Yeah, his surname Mistral. Yeah. yeah. So Mistral so in the show, cool. played by Paul um, Bimer. Okay. Bomer, and yeah, um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting that. Because I, I thought that in this episode, when T'Pol sells the Velcro, I was like, wait, she just screwed over the inventor of Velcro. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And that's <laughs> yeah. when I goog- Googled it and I saw that Mistral was the one who invented it. A, a, yeah. Swiss, a Swiss inventor, I believe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so Trivial who knows? question, actually. So. Oh, is that true? <laughs> yeah. Um. So I wonder what would happen, you know, to that inventor and that that alternate yeah. reality that know. she created yeah, by by stealing his thunder, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Um, 
but you know obviously we're before the prime directives and all that so she can i guess do whatever she wants without technically breaking any rules yeah maybe i don't know because they would still have rules about not contacting societies that don't have right. warp technology right 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 but they did what they had to do to survive so they adapted mm-hmm. um i love the clothes the old <laughs> 50s clothes and the <laughs> yeah just kind of the the mundane daily things that tamir was doing like the one scene where she was doing dishes in the kitchen and they were sitting in the kitchen table um i have a weird question it's not a star trek question yeah yeah. do you Mm -hmm. do you ever watch a show like this um and then you're surprised when there's not more violence like in star trek um just this episode in particular like i'm just saying like i think as a society i'm we're such we have such violent media i i kept waiting for the drama of this episode to be some sort of um racism or segregation that they would that they Mm -hmm. would be there would be some kind of mob that they would, would have like, found out they have yeah. ears and hey you know yeah in the uh c- the climax would have been some mob carrying pitchforks no. and torches like <laughs> no and, and that and i think in a lot of ways it, it, and again a very different way tamir having to say goodbye to mistral um also again not the same as kirk and Edith Keeler, not even close. But you don't know. Um, I'm not because this is this is what Star Trek was written to be—kind of this wagon train to the stars kind of thing. And this was just a really good story, you know, as Paul says mm-hmm. <laughs> in the end of the episode. Right. Although I don't think you know. Although I do believe that it's true because in the end she goes to her quarters and she pulls out that 1950s era handbag right so they they lead you to believe there's some ambiguity whether it was true yeah um early on in the show we'd be like well no way because she can't lie but now she's lied so many times that yeah she's now, lied a couple times now that we know um she can lie we're like is she just fibbing right now um i don't think it, so because again she pulls out the yeah pulls out the handbag handbag. right Mm -hmm. but so i was i was also thinking that so tamir her great great grandma um also lied and yes this mistral guy lies to to tamir multiple times so there's a lot of vulcan lying Mm -hmm. but i but i wonder if it establishes this sort of like heritage that T'Pol has of um progressive progressive thinking with regard to oh. like their different um yeah different rules and different protocols and stuff you know it's kind of in her blood you know yeah a little bit uh yeah maybe but so i thought in this episode there was it was a little bit in the reverse it was tamir having the prejudices towards humans and towards you know because um you know she kept 
she didn't like that that Mistral uh, was kind of falling in love with mm-hmm. uh, Maggie, you know, and they kissed, right. and she did not approve. Uh, she did not approve of gambling. Uh, mm-hmm. She did not want Mistral to play pool for their money uh, to, you know, to 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 try to win, uh, to try to get money. Um, and there were quite a few times where she was saying, "Oh, this these you know humans are too primitive," and you know all that kind of stuff, and you know uh, warned against Mistral using his weapon um, to right. blast through the rock to save mm-hmm. that. You know, um, did she make a comment about saving them or not? I don't remember. I don't remember her saying anything about that. I remember that. her saying, you know, it was, you know, because it was in day, or you know, it was in daylight. Don't use the, um, the weapon to blast through the rock. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I kept waiting for that to be a big dramatic moment, um, but yeah, it never was a thing, and. I mean, I she even told him to not even see her, to see Maggie again. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, but she evolves. That character has yeah. the capacity to evolve into yeah, someone who... Absolutely. Bla- I mean, and it's a huge lie to say that this guy died uh, in, the, in the initial crash. Which, by the way, um, you know how... In this show, they'll do very detailed, granular scans. Like, they know, like, how many biosignatures of each type are down there. Even, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. like, microorganisms and stuff. So, like, wouldn't the Vulcans who saved them have detected three Vulcan biosignatures? I mean, maybe their technology itself wasn't advanced enough to do that. But you got to think if they're, you know, traveling between systems, I'm, I don't know. It seems maybe that was a plot hole. Yeah. Could have been. Maybe, maybe they didn't think to scan, but it seems like that would be, um, how they found them is by scanning. So I thought that was a bit of a plot hole. Also, what what do they do with the ship? I kept waiting to see that thing get like uh, transported off, and it they never addressed it. Like, wouldn't some kid find that yeah, ship in the middle yeah, in the woods? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because when it crashed, it was largely intact. Yes. In the yes, woods. Yes. So. Yes. Yes. Oh, I wish they would have addressed that. But maybe we're supposed to think the U.S. government found it and held on to it. Like, maybe. Maybe. Like a lot of people think they would do. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, well. So, yeah, I... I um, oh, by the way, the guy who played Mistral has played other Star Trek characters. Okay, okay. Even in this show, he, he played oh. uh, a, a Kardashian a Cardassian, okay. Oh, okay. Cardassian. Okay, yeah. Okay. A Borg drone and a Nazi. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, 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 okay. Okay. So he comes back 
were, did they take on Nazis in this? Apparently, there's an episode called Stormfront where he yeah. plays a Nazi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is um. So this episode is very much to the tune of a Star Trek episode, where you know you'll have two very heavy episodes, and then they'll follow up with a more light-hearted one like yeah. this one. Okay. This one was about as light as it gets. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Or so f- light as it has gets so far. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And it and they and you know it's kind of something that um, that 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 this is kind of this has happened this this happens uh, quite a bit in the franchise where they'll have two big you know big heavy episodes and then they'll come back and then you know um and have this lighter one um so one thing i wanted to ask is so zephyrin cochran yes i remember you told me the character makes an appearance in the original series right yes so um maybe they don't discuss dates when back then yeah they did right? not they did not no they okay did not. i think that's why i thought roddenberry established the first contact Mm-mm. thing no i and i could be wrong um because i believe in the original series episode where they meet doctors from cochran was it really Dr. Cochran or was it a representation of Dr. Cochran? I don't remember. This will be a, the something we'll have to track. The original series had done that a couple of times where, you know, aliens, um, you know, would be Abraham Lincoln, for example, or, you know, they go down to a, a, a mafia planet. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, so, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't remember. And someone out there, please tell us if that Dr. Cochran was an alien or a representation of Dr. Cochran or something like that in the okay. original episode or in the original series. I don't remember. Well, we'll have to track this. Yeah, yeah. Because we'll get there sooner than later. Yeah, exactly. we should be able to do the original series pretty quick after this one. I think... We're going to skip Discovery. Oh, I don't know. You're the the one who knows the timeline, so... Is is see? I I, I literally don't even know. Discovery takes place before a little bit before Kirk and Spock. Okay. Well, all right. Well, then we'll have to get through Discovery. Is that one still going? By it's the way? still going though. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what we're gonna do, buddy. I don't know. We'll get. We'll talk about it when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. Was there anything else? Um, did it bump you at all that it was played by Jolene Blaylock? No, no, no. That, that, again, that, again, is not the first time 
Um, the actor has played an ancestor. No, okay. Yeah, well, no, yeah, it, it happens. Yeah. Hey, we even saw that with um, Clint Howard. He played um, the Ferengi. Yeah. But it wasn't the Ferengi he used to play, and I, I th- uh, maybe I just in my head assumed right. they, that he was the ancestor of. No, no, but, I don't think so. But okay. yeah, no, she, the, she would not have been the first. She was not the first one to play an ancestor of hers. Okay. All right. Okay, I'll let it slide. Technically, <laughs> Leonard Nimoy was the first to play his ancestor. And then Michael Dorn played an ancestor. Okay. Which is cool. Yeah, so okay. it's happened before. Okay, alright. I like it. Um. Uh, and the the other thing was okay. So you're to Paul. Yeah. You you're Ooh. a Vulc- You're a Vulcan. Okay. Yep. You don't like humans. Yeah. Well, it's, I don't know. You you're not. I'm thrilled. not sure if that's true. You're not thrilled. I'm I'm talking early on. You're not thrilled about the prospect of going on this crew with these humans. Okay. You're, you're packing for your trip. Okay. Yes. And your quarters are tiny. I mean, yes. the quarters on the ship are tiny. Yeah. Which is interesting because it's a TV show. They they could have chose like, you know, TV shows all the time have massive apartments. They yeah. like very purposefully chose these very cramped, you know small why? quarters. I think they did that on purpose. I think <laughs> they. So I I think they wanted to really. So in the franchise. They have a tendency. Enterprise, the original Enterprise, was small and cramped and had a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. The refit Enterprise got bigger. The Enterprise that followed that one got a little bigger. Enterprise D was bigger even still than that. So I think the crampness, the tight, they wanted to give that. You know, this is the beginning of space exploration. And, right. you know, yeah. we're not exactly, you know, to the Federation yet. And we only have so much capacity to build such a large spaceship. Okay. Well, my point is... And again, it has the naval submarine quality to it. You know, it has this naval cramp, you know, submarine kind of encased in a yeah tight quarters definitely a hundred percent that yes. that that also is part of the franchise yeah. too yeah right Sorry, anyway go ahead. anyway my point is yes do you bring your great great grandma's 1950s era uh, handbag yeah. mm-hmm. when you're probably limited to like yeah. one personal item yeah and not to, i don't know like you don't leave the handbag at home, like in a safe or something. Like, I don't know. It seemed. I I get why they had it in the episode. It just seemed a little hokey that it was there that she had it with her this whole time. Yeah, I think. Um, first of all, it tells me that Paul is has some emotion, because that's only out of you know you only do that out of, um, being sentimental. Or it has significant 
uh, symbolism to her. It symbolizes this, like, act of um, compassion, but also, like, progressive thinking that her grandma... It could. I mean, think about it. Her great-great-grandmother was an explorer. You know, think about it, right? You know, 1957... um, you know not and not just not just a explorer the well i guess to the to vulcans the contact wouldn't be as significant but to the humans she she would be a huge right i mean it's the same as why she went to carbon creek in the first place to go see Mm -hmm. you know first contact that her great great grandmother um yeah i think i you know i think that fits maybe i'm being uh Maybe I'm being, you know. <laughs> well, it definitely builds the myth of T'Pol. I mean, it does. Sh- she's a big deal. Her, she's, you know, she's this exalted sort of Vulcan commander. But now mm-hmm. we know sh- she has this lineage of um, great explorers, and um, she's badass. She's like kind of like the Vulcan chosen one, to be honest. Maybe. No? I don't know. I don't I know. Feel she's the Spock of this era. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. She's definitely the Spock, for sure. Um, yeah, but I, the Chosen One, I don't always... You know, I mean, who is it? Anakin? Luke? Ray? No. Um... <laughs> uh, <laughs> um yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that one. But yeah, I mean, you know, I th- I do think that part of the excitement of the assignment to Earth um, was going to visit Carbon Creek and to bring your great-great-grandmother's, you know, handbag. Mm-hmm. Kind of cool. Yeah. Maybe that's just me being a bleary-eyed optimist, but I don't know. <laughs> It's all right, man. I like it. It's important. It balances out um, my cynicism. So. <laughs> or lack of optimism. I don't know if lack of optimism is the same as cynicism, but... Yeah, I don't... Yeah, yeah. could be. Yeah. Well, um, that was fun. Um... Our next episode is going to be called Minefield. Does not sound like a easy breezy nope, episode. Does not sound like a lighthearted one. Sounds perilous. Yeah. Well, is there anything but, else you want to talk about with this one? Um. No, I think we got it. I think we got it. Other okay. than that, where the heck is Carbon Creek? <laughs> I mean, we're in Pennsylvania. I don't think it's real, is it? Uh oh. No, I googled it. I could not find anything. Anytime okay. you Google Carbon Creek, you get this episode. It comes up with this episode. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the only other thing I wanted to point out is that Maggie was played by Anne Cusack, uh, who was John and Joan Cusack's oh, sibling. John Cusack's sister. Yeah. 
Wow. Which which they do not look like because wasn't Maggie blonde and blue eyed? Who? Um, uh, and the the actress wasn't she blonde haired, blue eyed? Maggie. Uh, Ma- was Ma- uh, Maggie? Was she blonde? Uh... I thought she was. Maybe not. I don't yeah. know. She did not look like John Cusack at all. But you know. Wow! How? Wow! There's quite a few Cusacks. She could have dyed her hair, or whatever. So. Yeah! 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 Yeah. Oh, cool! Yeah, no, yeah, Maggie is uh, blonde. And blue and blue eyed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a neat, neat little thing there. I did not know that. Um, obviously, I didn't know that either. It, wow, yeah. John and um, uh oh, Joan is the other Joan, sister. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Joan is the other sister. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, that was fun. All right. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, um, but, you know, since they went to a baseball game, go Pirates, I guess. <laughs> um, alright. Well, everybody, be sure to follow Captain's Quarters on Twitter. Subscribe to Nerdific on YouTube. Go to nerdific.com where you can get links to all the stuff. The Discord channel, the Nerdific Twitter, Nerdific YouTube. Um, and we appreciate the support. And most importantly, though, is follow on Spotify. Um, that's the most important thing. Follow this podcast on Spotify. Oh, and we broke 100 followers on Twitter, by Whoa. the way. Which is more wow. successful wow. than the Nerdific. Man, way to one. go, Star Trek fans. All right. Yeah, it's been a great community. I've, right. I've really enjoyed interacting and following everybody um, in the sort of we are Starfleet hashtag. All right. Yes. <laughs> the whole sort of uh, just group of fans, this whole fandom, it's crazy. They're super supportive and uh, way more supportive than some other communities that okay. i'm uh, deep okay. into i won't okay. say which ones because i don't want to offend any of them but yeah um it's pretty incredible so but yeah well um thanks everyone and live long and prosper and may the force be with you see you later